0: I could say, you know, reduce, reuse, recycle or whatnot, or, you know, hold your politicians accountable. But let me, let me turn it upside down a little bit here and say, you know, the, um, the, the policymakers, the legislators, the community leaders, the religious leaders, um, youth, uh, academia, all, all sectors, um, don't hold them accountable. Educate them and inspire them to make the right policy, to do the right thing. Because in this world, I think if we, have, if we give people the benefit of the doubt and we, we assume good intentions, that, that, that people will do the right thing if they realize that they're, what their impact is.
1: Welcome to Grace 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. This is Ed Mellick and I'm joined by my co-host Sal Dietrich. Sal, are you excited about tonight's program?
2: Well, Ed, tonight we're talking about the dangerous and really noble work of protecting uh, endangered species, rare animals, big game animals around the world. And it, it is no surprise that just between 2009 and 2016, uh, nearly 600 park rangers have been killed in the line of duty trying to protect these animals from poachers. In Namibia alone, poaching was seen, you know, as a way of life, uh, understood to feed families. The government instituted a program there in the 80s, uh, begin converting poachers into what are called game guards. It's a novel program. As it matured, the government began forming these conservancies where communities had the rights to animals on their lands. Well, long and short, the scope of this project is really the focus of tonight's guest, uh, crime-fighting conservationist Jessica Graham, spent the past 10 years uh, first working at the State Department, where she created an environmental crime program uh, for the Bureau of International Narcotics and Law Enforcement Affairs. Most recently, she's worked at Interpol, uh, the world's largest policing organization, as a strategic policy officer. Jessica has returned to the United States from France to start a consulting business focused on environmental and international security issues. She joins us today to talk about the intersection of conservation and law enforcement work and to share insights and her passion, really, uh, she's gained over the past decade, traveling to over 40 countries.
0: Thank you. It's great to be here.
2: Yeah, thank you for coming in and love what you're doing to help uh, these animals around the world and really create a, an ecosystem that supports local people but protects these endangered species and rare animals. The story about converting uh, poachers into game guards seems like, uh, I would, wouldn't say a no-brainer, but certainly uh, a win-win for everyone. Are you seeing an increase in these kind of creative approaches to problems like this?
0: Yeah, in my, in my line of work, uh, most people might think, uh, uh, you know, we're going to talk about conservation and and, and and saving trees and animals, and, and we are, but we're really taking a very different and unique angle to this issue. We're really taking it from uh, a law enforcement, crime-fighting uh, angle, which most people don't think about this issue from, right? And uh, the techniques need to be, all tools need to be applied and put towards the arsenal of law enforcement and park rangers who are at the front lines protecting these endangered uh, species in wildlife um, across parks um, worldwide. Uh, and so, in, in that process of, of equipping law enforcement, you need to really engage uh, all tools, and that includes technology, that includes training, that includes uh, investigative approaches, that includes old-school approaches that uh, typical traditional law enforcement use, such as looking at the money and following the money trails. And all of these kinds of, of aspects to, uh, to really fighting the criminals who are poaching uh, animals and harvesting uh, trees and and other issues, Um, and so keeping the bad guys in jail.
2: So uh, is it, uh, you know, an idea of just paying the poachers more than they would make in poaching, or is this really changing, you know, I would say a culture of behavior where this has been going on for, uh, you know, a century where people would harvest these animals and sell them?
0: Yeah, I think the problem with uh, conservation programs that we see today and, and kind of where I um, am, am hoping to assist um, through my company, which we'll talk about later, is is looking at, at all the tools. There is no cookie cutter template that will apply even within one country or one park. So. Um, uh, you know uh, one aspect you you can't arrest your way through this problem uh, law enforcement is one component of the issue of, of environmental security um, but so is a conservation approach for sustainability purposes so is engaging communities and sustainable livelihoods and so that's where you're talking about engaging the community oftentimes we'll see in, in parts of Africa where communities may be pointing the poachers uh, to where the wildlife are because they know where they're at and they those elephants are trampling their crops and that's a livelihood for their annual income. So it's really about getting the communities on board, having them be a part of the the solution to the problem. And um, in this case with Namibia that you're you're discussing, it was really uh, the need for paying a little bit more uh, for these uh, local uh, individuals to become park rangers uh, instead of poachers. But this uh, may not apply in all parks, for example, in Africa. Or, you know, uh, there's we've seen very few success stories, um, unfortunately, in this vein of, of this um, topic. But, for example, Nepal has a near-zero poaching um, uh, that's occurred over the last several years. And why has that worked? It's because they've militarized the parks. Now, that may not be a solution uh, el- everywhere or elsewhere, uh, but it is a solution. They've applied and they've seen the impact of that.
2: And you talk about uh, needing the right deterrence. It, it, it sounds like really one of the first steps in this to sort of change this is is listening, mm-hmm. right? And it's going in and listening to these local communities. You talked about elephants trampling over crops and things, but really and and you don't see this sometimes in big aid programs is really that first step of listening is Mm -hmm. that part of your approach to go in and sort of listen to the problems of local people and, and include them in the solution in some way
0: yeah, I mean, definitely listening, um, getting their buy-in, um, it, you know, because um, one thing is listening to their problems, but then another thing we see with some uh, conservation programs is they might listen to the local communities, but they don't implement, or they want to bring in their technology, but they realize, for example, they want to bring in drones to Kruger National Park, but the drones aren't going to work on on the type of terrain. So it's really engaging, knowing knowing the community you're working in, listening to them, but taking a, a step further further and actually engaging and getting their buy-in to be a part, a part of, of of the, of the problem-solving.
2: and And let me ask you, we talked about this a little bit before the show, but this is clearly a passion of yours, something that you're very interested in. How, how did you get involved in this? Uh, you mentioned you've always been interested in conservation issues, but clearly this is on your heart to do this as a mission. Tell us a little bit about how you got involved in this.
0: Yeah, well, um, you know, civil service has been my career uh, path. Uh, and, and and I think that's where kind of the grace uh, comes into to my aspect of, of, of my career. But I'm a true believer in doing what you love. And so it, there's my passion lies in that. Um, I come from a background of law enforcement with my family, my great aunts and whatnot. were are family, uh, all law enforcement sheriffs in, in, in Ohio, where I'm originally from. Um, but that was never, I never thought I was going to be uh, working on the front lines and and alongside with police um, to help them do their job better. Uh, And then, you know, Jack Hanna, I'm from Columbus, Ohio, where Jack Hanna is actually, was a role model of mine growing up and watching him and seeing how he can travel the world and and, and educate people about animals. And then it took it a step further to, um, you know, I went to, I've always worked on environmental issues from climate change to illegal logging to wildlife trafficking issues. And then at State Department, I... uh, I, you know, I I started in a position on uh, working on law enforcement training uh, for the Counter-Narcotics Bureau and Law Enforcement uh, Affairs Bureau at State Department where there was not a single green word echoed in the corridors of of that bureau. And I breathed light into it and I got um, my, at the time, the Assistant Secretary, uh, his, uh, his approval and his leadership to really take this forward and turn when I had, you know, pennies uh, of programs to run overseas, I turned it into uh, a forty million dollar program. It is today, um, working in over fifty countries uh, with with various programs.
1: So let's get back to you mentioned this militarization of these uh, conservation areas, and there's there's cons to that. You know, where people don't, it may have worked in Nepal, but in certain areas, it might there might be bad things that happen from that. Is there a link between poaching and financing terrorist groups? Because I'm trying to see the connection between concerned about these problems and, and how it affects us here in the United States. Um, is, is Boko Haram getting funding from uh, their poaching activities, or are there other areas like the Ugandan, the LRA? Well, what's your What's your experience there? Are people using poaching to, to generate funds that they use to get munitions and things like that?
0: Yes, um, I think militant groups and, and terrorist organizations are... Uh, Turning to like any and like any legitimate business, the criminal entrepreneurs are looking at how to make a dollar and how to make it without getting caught. And so, like any uh, transnational organized criminal network, they're really looking at you know how do we how do we make money off of this? And it, uh, for example, uh, trafficking in ivory. The Lord's Resistance Army um, has has traded in that uh, in in ivory and taking the tusks of elephants because it's a low risk of detection and it's a high reward value. You can get, uh, for example, rhino horn on the black market in the consumption uh, destination markets of, of Southeast Asia. Oftentimes, for example, uh, you can get rhino horn for more than gold or cocaine on the black market. So that's that's lucrative for a criminal. And so what we want to do is, in, is is reverse that formula and that equation so that it, it is not lucrative for criminals um, because this isn't like the drug business, right? You can't make this stuff in a lab. This is um, this will is a it's a finite uh, resource that that will end you know elephants will not be in the wild uh, for y- you or your children to see in, in a decade if the poaching continues at the rate that it does um, so there's a desperate and urgent need and and, 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 and a desperate need for action uh, from all parts of the community to really get on board um and and, and address these issues because it is a national security issue for the U.S. The U.S. is actually one of the uh, largest uh, both legal and illegal markets uh, of consumption of of wildlife products. Now, our products are largely coming out of Latin America, and uh, the U.S. is a major consumer to reptiles and exotic birds for the pet trade and the accessories trade. So we in the U.S. have a role to play. We are a part of the problem, and, and we must be a part of the solution.
2: Yeah, you bring up a good point. I mean, tourism is such a big part of the economies in these areas. If that starts drying up, especially in these rural areas, people are going to turn to – you know, opportunities to earn money. And a lot of times that happens through uh, through terrorist organizations.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah, for example, uh, you know, in Kenya, ecotourism, it brings in about 13% of their GDP. I mean, that is cause for a government to pay attention and for policy to be made and law enforcement to be um, equipped so that they can do their job to ensure that these uh, criminals, as I would call them, but poachers or, or gangs um, are, are not... Uh, getting into the wildlife trafficking business, if you will.
1: So, are they paying attention? I mean, it's, you mentioned thirteen percent. Is there a lower poaching activity in the country because people see they can make money doing other things, or is it that not the case?
0: Um, you know, you see a place like Kenya, where where ecotourism or Tanzania, where ecotourism from safaris and things is is a is a large um, uh, influx for for. Towards their GDP, um, you do see them paying attention. Uh, for example, uh, Kenya, the Kenyan president recently has has done some things on the green agenda, if you will, uh, discussing. Uh, you know, he has he has banned single-use plastic bags, um, and, and and trying to, to enhance. Um, you know, a cleaner country, if you will, of, of reducing plastic. Um, so there there are uh, countries definitely paying attention, um, and I think. Um, as we're seeing under this administration with um, budget cuts to environmental programs, when um, when a federal government uh, doesn't step up uh, and, and show their leadership, what then happens is we start to see others fill that gap. So we're now starting to see mayors and state and local leaders throughout the U.S. Putting ivory bans out, for example, and um, and and doing things to, uh, to help towards uh, the climate change issue that we're all facing, and and then you see countries, for example, like um, China and the EU, who are stepping up and trying to really uh, better better implement policy that that we can follow as a global community to help uh, our environment.
2: Do you think that that leaders have a sense of the, the, and it's being conveyed, to so where the bigger picture, I mean here we're talking about poaching elephants and things but you know, I was just out at Yellowstone and they talk about how the introduction of one non-native fish has changed bear migrations mm-hmm. and entire things going on out there. I mean we're talking about these animals not existing, that is going to have huge ramifications to other animal populations. Do, do you think people have a sense of the magnitude of changing something like that in an ecosystem?
0: Yeah, I think, I, th- I certainly think that uh, the, the ecosystem is very delicate and fragile and we, we oftentimes, we are so uh, distant from our food nowadays and where it's coming from um, that I think what happens when you have this distance and this, um, this kind of uncertainty of, of how one act of ours leads to an impact of an entire ecosystem or, or whatnot, what ends up happening is, uh, is, is you get these changes, but then you'll see the pendulum will swing in the opposite direction where now you'll start to see consumers are now demanding for greener products. They're starting to demand for reduction in, in plastic use, for example, in straws in restaurants. And all of these kind of single-use may not may not one may not think this is going to have a huge impact on uh, the mass of plastic in our oceans right now you know there's about 8 billion tons of plastic in our oceans annually that's th- we're going to be living in a sea of of fish and 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 species filled with plastic which is harmful to us but it's that one mom here in Arlington who would say, you know, I'm not going to use plastic straws. I'm going to demand that. And all of her friends are also going to demand no use. And so that restaurant chain is going to say, well, we don't need to spend money on that because that doesn't make sense. So we're going to, you know, not use plastic straws. And at the corporate level is where you start to see the impact because of a single person.
2: And you think some type of labeling or branding around this uh, may come about in, in future years, in essence, that this, these crops or these products are from non-poached areas or a certain, you know, eco brand that might come about for people who are compliant with this uh, in certain areas.
0: Yeah. And, of course, um, uh, companies and, and, and consumers want to get ahead of, of regulators and, 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 and be in compliance when they do come across. Um, and so, uh, yeah, Absolutely.
1: So let's talk a little bit about your travels. I mean, you've traveled extensively. You've encountered some really difficult, uh, tough circumstances. But you've also seen some beautiful, amazing things. You've talked about beauty and grace in, in your travels, things that give you hope, that energize you. What do you find, you know, the most beauty in? I mean, I know you specifically mentioned some of the people you work with, how they affected you. Tell us a little bit about what you've seen in your, in your travels.
0: Yeah, you know, I'm I feel very lucky um to be in in the career path that I've I've chosen and and the fact of Every day I'm meeting people who are conservationists, who are park rangers, who are law enforcement, who are customs officials, who are investigators, who are all doing amazing work that inspires me to continue doing what I do every day. Because this can always, this can, this can become a dark world when you're looking at the crime side of, of, of what is beautiful and majestic. So I was recently on a safari in, in the Maasai Mara. In Kenya, and it's it's one of the most spectacular um, places in the world that I've ever been, and uh, and and it's it's hilarious because you'll you know you're you're watching them walk around sunset in this open area, uh, and uh, you see a thirteen thousand pound elephant you know like walking past you, and there's a tiny little dip in the road, just a minor you know these dirt roads a little. Um, curb or the edge of the road and it will completely hesitate and get you know bent out of shape if you will um, to just cross this little dip in the road and it's a massive animal it doesn't have too many predators besides humans Um, and so you see the beauty and majestic of the natural world and it's inspiring but then the people are what inspires me um because unfortunately, I can't always be uh, on the safari uh, to remember to remember this and keep me moving forward. Um, and you know, there's a there's. I just came back from South Africa a couple months ago, where there's an all-female anti-poaching unit, and they've actually seen. They're called the Black Mambas, based in, in uh, the western side of Kruger Park, and uh, they're doing amazing things. They got a UN Environment Award recently, and and it's it's those individuals who are, are getting up every day, putting on their uniform, going out on the front lines. They sometimes encounter poachers, and really, their intent is to actually prevent any kind of an encounter with the poacher. So they take out the snares, they do their patrols in the park, and a very tough terrain. And they're working really hard to ensure that the animals are protected in this area. And, uh, and, and not just Is it what they're doing? But then they go back home and they have children and their children are asking what they're doing. And there's a sense of pride in the community that their mother is part of the black mambas. You know, the mamba is one of the most poisonous snakes in the world. And so um, it's 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 a it's a whole mentality shift. It's a it's um it's a generational uh, change. Change uh, of turning the tide um, to get the buy-in um, from youth and, and women and empowering them, and, and 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 then they're you know they're contributing to the to the household, um, and, and these are all really important issues to ensure success, um, and they've seen success in reduced poaching.
2: And These people are like eco-warriors out there. They are <laughs> sort of an eco-warrior yourself. <laughs> yes. uh, put you in that label for sure. Well,
0: well they are certainly uh, eco-warriors. Yes.
1: Yeah, you mentioned also, I thought you said that that group, all-female group, had sort of more integrity you felt from them than any other group you encountered. Yes. I find that really interesting. I mean. So
0: I was speaking to the uh, the head of uh, who, who runs the Black Mambas unit and, um, and I said, you know the number one question I get a lot and I have to, to tackle is like you know how do you address corruption because corruption is everywhere. The US has it everywhere, every country has it, you can't get away from it. but but it's how do you how do you address it? how do you reduce it to, to as, as little as possible in order to be able to conduct business in, in, in the best way possible? And so I asked him, you know what you know how do you, how do you address corruption? And, and his, his response um, was was phenomenal. he said, I don't have to. They're all females and they have such high integrity that corruption isn't actually a problem. That's and' that's, that's an amazing I mean that's an amazing world to live in and work in and be inspired by.
2: Take a minute and tell us about uh, your, your future here. You've got a business that you're getting off the ground. Some of your goals with the business and what you're trying to accomplish there.
0: Yeah. So um, I've launched my company, JG Global Advisory, and I encourage you, or your listeners, to go on to the website at jgglobaladvisory.com and, uh, and sign up there. But but what it, what it is is really to help with um, three kind of key areas that I work on. It was just strategic policy. Uh, my background has been, um, you know, negotiating resolutions for the UN, for the United Nations, um, to p- pull together and provide resources for countries to do police-to-police cooperation. So my strategic policy um, advisory services, also project management. Um, I've run many uh, programs across Africa, Southeast Asia, and Latin America on um, on conservation programs. And so uh, working with, uh, for example, conservation NGOs who, can, um, who need assistance on um, program management. Um, and then also on some business development areas. So I've worked with some startups uh, and, and small businesses in that front. So really looking at um at, at these three key areas and how to better assist you know in, in this field of conservation it's a very crowded space um, and oftentimes uh, there's a very small limited amount of funding and it's largely from you know government or, or, or what not in the US is one of those major um, funders to, uh, to conservation programs globally and with that uh, you know, there's a lot of there ends up being a lot of duplication, redundancy, competition, um, and so how do you kind of deconflict that and ensure that that the program is act- actually needed, that it's going to be effective, and it's going to have a huge impact? And so I've been able to do that in my past um, working across the organizations I've worked with, and um, and and hope to do that for 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 not just uh, conservation. Uh, uh, organizations but also companies and and um, and policymakers
1: let's spend just a minute talking about you told me a story about your 12 year old niece because you were sort of emphasizing that our actions really have a huge impact on others even when we don't realize it can tell us briefly that story
0: yeah so I, I would coin the term perhaps unintentional uh, inspiration um, so I have long been a, a in love with, with elephants, and, and I encourage, um, if anyone were to learn about elephants, they would see how amazing they are, and, and perhaps take a liking to them the way I do. They're very emotional creatures. They never forget anything. Um, their scent is, is tremendous, and uh, they're very different than many other species, and they're quite, we were talking uh, earlier, uh, Sal, about the ecosystem. They're very important to the ecosystem and, and where and where they uh, live in, um, to, to further the habitats around them. So they're incredible creatures, and I love them, and I foster um, orphan elephants that have, th- where their mothers have been killed by poachers in Kenya. There's an organization there that I, I foster these elephants for um, regularly, and uh, and I, I I mentioned it to my niece uh, kind of in passing and explained because they give you the name of the elephant because you know communities know each elephant in their name they all look different the way we, we would talk about our neighbors um, with different characteristics and aspects and so communities across Africa know their elephants and they have names for them uh, in many communities and and so I explained this to my niece and and then I you know I was uh, doing something that day and she had a friend over they decided to uh, create arts and crafts and go fundraise and they came back from the fundraiser and and they they fostered a baby elephant. And I had no idea. I didn't, I didn't ask her to do this. I didn't encourage her to do this. And, and, and she just did this. And it it was, I, you know, I, I assume I'm perhaps maybe a role model to her, but I didn't realize the impact I had and the inspiration you could have by not even, uh, by not even realizing it. And so, um, you know, that's, that's the contribution here uh, of the unintentional uh, inspiration. And I encourage uh, your listeners, if, if they, if they, you know, do, do, either intentionally or unintentionally inspire someone on environmental issues, um, they can, environmental security issues, they can uh, send me an email and I'll send them, um, you know, my top 10 recommendations on effective programs and, and and some of the ways they can have a positive impact on the environment.
2: Well, this gets to our, the, our call to action. We always ask guests at the end of the show to give one or two calls to action. You've got about a minute or so left. What would you like to challenge our listeners to do, or or something you would like them to remember from your time here with us?
0: Yeah, um, you know, I I we, I could say you know reduce, reuse, recycle, or whatnot, or you know hold your politicians accountable. But let me let me turn it upside down a little bit here and say you know the. Um, the the policymakers, the legislators, the community leaders, the religious leaders, um, youth, uh, academia, all, all sectors um, don't hold them accountable, educate them, and inspire them to make the right policy, to do the right thing. Because in this world, I think if we have, if we give people the benefit of the doubt, and we we assume good intentions, that. That, that people will do the right thing if they realize that they're, what their impact is. And, and, um, and we all have an impact from Arlington uh, on through uh, to the savannas of Africa. So to educate and inspire, and and in that in that call to action, um, you know, shoot me an email at jgglobaladvisory.com. There's a, a on the front page. Uh, you can sign up for for the distro list, and I, I won't send you junk mail, but I will send you your top ten uh, recommendations I have to, to to making a positive impact.
1: Yeah, don't dare send people plastic bags, <laughs> <No>. <laughs> or or a black mamba. <laughs> no,
2: <laughs> that's great. Well, thanks so much for joining us, Jessica. Uh, thank you. Uh, for the work that you're doing uh, to combat these issues and to protect these animals and, and to be really an eco warrior. We use that phrase. I like that phrase for you. Uh, if listeners want to find out more about Jessica's business, please visit her website at jgglobaladvisory.com. Again, that's jgglobaladvisory.com. A replay of this program, along with interview highlights, will be posted on the Grayson30.com website. Ed, another amazing guest, another amazing story of passion and grace.
1: This is Ed and Sal signing off from Grace and 30 on WERALP Arlington 96.7 FM. Have a great night and be sure to tune into Grace.